Out of respect for our guest and her following story, please note that the following recording took place prior to the outbreak of the COVID-19 pandemic. Thank you so much. There's a place to say what's on your mind. Tell them here and let them be. Well, I got something deep inside of me. I can't hide it anymore. It needs to be so free. There's no time to let this tale get off. No, no, no. It's the best Hello and welcome to our show. My guest uh, is a actor and director. Everyone, let's welcome Lin Chen. Thank you, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what will be interesting on this in the history of the series? I've never had a guest. I don't actually have never met before. And oh, you're this the first. is exciting. Yeah, and so what's interesting, which kind of leads into my first question, is that um, I also work, uh, you, which you, you don't really know, but in the entertainment field and there are times where I think we've actually been in the same physical space for film festival screenings and stuff and uh, I have seen you in actually a couple of your films. Um, I, I taught Saving Face at an Asian American film class. What? Yep. Oh, that's right. You did say that with, with Michelle. Michelle. That's right. Yeah, and so then that that's how kind of shout out to Michelle Krushek for Shout out Michelle. For putting us together uh, and so and I've seen you uh, in surrogate valentine yes i think at south by uh on kind of on accident like i didn't know the movie was playing i was there just to support my wife then we went to a screening and i saw this film and you're in that and then uh and then i recently saw you in go back to china yes at the la asian pacific film festival yes so i feel like we'll probably be best friends after this we're gonna be bffs (laughs) every time i see you in a room now i'm just gonna Push everyone else out of the way to get to you. Exactly. Uh, but here's my, I guess here's my question uh, to start before we hear kind of your best story you've never told. Uh, so, you know, fans have always been interested in the lives of celebrities uh, or actors. Uh, and and f- to some degree, they don't, there's sort of like in the older time, like the Tom Cruise, Will Smith era, there's a bit of mystery between mm-hmm. fan and actor. Yeah. And those people from that generation kind of, kind of for a while kept that mystery uh, and so like you don't necessarily know the person, you know the characters, right? So for me, like I know your characters, I don't necessarily know you that much. Um, but given uh, the current era, there's, uh, you know, with social media, you had not only do you have uh, access to share your personal life with people whenever you want and it's like unfiltered, but you also get unfiltered feedback from fans. So in my attempt to ask the most intellectual question you've ever heard in like a, a situation like this, uh, how has kind of the impact of social media and communication affected your choices as like an, an actor and, and, and a director, if at all? Well, I will say I don't mean to toot my own horn, but I was a very early adopter of the social media um, craze trend. Um, in 2009, I started a food blog called The Actor's Diet. And this was just when blogs were starting and people were not taking photos of their food at all. So it was a very strange thing. We didn't really have camera phones. So I was using like a little Canon point and shoot to take photos. And um, 
You know, even back then, because I, I, the reason I started my blog was because I wanted to come to terms with my eating disorder. I had a long history with eating disorders, mm. with binge eating, um, and I didn't exactly know how to deal with it. And I remember thinking, you know, it's funny you say Will Smith because he, <laughs> I always think of him because he was one of the, our producers on Saving Face. Oh my God, that's right. Yeah, yes. Overbrook did it. And so... Um, I, um, all I remember was when my eating disorder was at its like beginning infancy stages, um, I was trying so hard not to eat, uh, quote unquote, certain types of foods Mm. and Will Smith's company sent me like this big, huge basket on my like first day when I walked into my trailer and saw this like food basket filled with nuts and all these other things that were going to make me gain weight when they had asked me to lose all this weight to play ballet dancer. And it was just like this mind fuck moment of like, what right. do I do? And because um, I was trying so hard not to binge on foods during that time. Yeah. But anyway, my point is that my answer to your question is that um, I had a I had a conversation with myself of like, you know, actors. I, I certainly did not consider myself a celebrity by any means, um, and I still am very uncomfortable with that word in general because I know celebrities now and. There's just my friends, you know, like so like people who are in the public eye back then who chose to be actors or um, public figures, they didn't share their personal lives, their personal stories. And for me, it was a real decision of like, do I do this? Do I share this? Because people don't do this. People don't show their flaws. Like you have to show some mystery. People barely talked about who they were married to you know, Mm -hmm. back then. So like, for me, it was like, I I can't like tell people that I'm struggling because if I do, then they're going to not hire me. But for me, it was such an important part of my recovery of um, starting the blog and writing about it and using it as therapy that I needed to do it. And surprisingly, uh, not only did it help me, you know, I had the blog for 10 years. Yeah. Um, and I just recently closed it down because I was like, I think I'm done with this. <laughs> I, sure, I've, sure. I've done everything I needed to process this. But um, I, it's, I'm, I'm surprised at, I'm not surprised, but I'm thrilled mm-hmm. at how much it's grown. Um, and now it's like become just a normal thing. But I do feel like, you know, I had a podcast before people were podcasting. Back in the day, it was called Actors Off. It was about what actors did when they weren't working. Okay. It was like all these things of trying to process my pain of not having anything to do and sitting around and waiting for Hollywood to give me something to do. Um, And it helped me become a storyteller. And that's why I became a a filmmaker, um, because I wanted to continue that tradition of just sort of scrappy, do-it-yourself, don't wait for other people to give you permission to to share yourself. Uh, But I, I feel like... I guess to answer your question, I think it's I think it's a good time right now, but it it um it's it's morphed. And I um I I would be lying if I said that I didn't, you know, change that my um way of sharing my my vulnerability didn't change mm-hmm. over the last decade. And I think that's like normal in general as we grow. Yeah. As human beings, you know, in general, like you don't have the same relationship with anything that you do over the course of a decade. Um, But definitely it became a thing as like, you know, more and more people were using it. The more I was like, my thing used to be like, I'm going to share everything because I don't want 
to feel like if people are looking at me and and looking at the way I look on screen um, to see that it's just this simple like I'm eating a burger no big deal Um, I want them to see that I'm like actually either struggling with it or Mm. I am okay with it but in the next day I'm gonna eat a salad you know there's like a balance to it all there's like a psychology behind every single thing it's not just like this easy digestible pun intended thing yeah and um but over the years it sort of like was like uh I don't feel like explaining every single time. So it it has changed. And um, so I think the person you see online um, now is a version of me that has been crafted Mm. sort of for the last 10 years of like a a more like there's a version of me that definitely is like very vulnerable that I do share, but she doesn't come out as often. As she used to. She used to be there all the time. And not only am I not really that person anymore. I mean, of course, I am that person sometimes. Right. But she just doesn't isn't she isn't there like as much as she used to be. So I don't feel like I don't feel like showing her off. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can I can kind of see like as we you know, because obviously young children are growing up with social media. So it's normalized. Right. Like I didn't grow up with it and stuff. And so now, yeah, I could see how it's almost like an avatar where it's like, mm-hmm. you know, you have your online, like me at work and me at home are kind of different people yeah. because I just can't be work me at home. Like it doesn't work. It just, right. Or vice versa. So I feel, yeah, social media has its own thing now and you kind of, that's a version of you, but not, but yeah, I was curious if it affected like kind of your choices and roles and how you prepare. Um, I I will say that these days, because I don't make social media my job anymore, for a while it was my job. I was getting paid to um, to make videos and to, um, you know, mention certain products, that sort of thing. Um, And that was a very short period of my social media career. And um, I, I honestly did not like it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, di- I didn't, it's not that I ever felt like I was selling out, but I just like felt like beholden to something that it didn't feel like uh, I was, it, it became a job and to right. create content, just to purely create content. And I will, and that's sort of why I like took a step back from it. But I will say that now when I do make something, it's purely me. It like, I, I've even reached the point where like, I've stopped trying to make anything look slick. It's almost like going back to like the early 90s of having a camcorder and just like recording whatever's here mm-hmm. whatever's happening is happening i have nothing to hide uh maybe in another 10 years and be like why did i do that remove it you right, know but that's right. like the same as any right. one I-, I love that like we have social media and that you can share things but like the idea of making things super slick now is um kind of unappealing to me mm-hmm. um because i have to put all that slickness into actually making films and that takes a lot of energy for sure yeah. you know uh so yeah such as we'll, we'll shout it out i will make you mine yes that's my yes, movie uh, the the third in the trilogy of that movie you mentioned before surrogate valentine yes that's right yes uh rachel comes back yes and rachel and ayako ayako's character ayako fujitani's character erica and yeming chen who plays herself all three of them uh are the stars and go nakamura is now the love interest. We turned the story around and flipped it on its head and made the man the not leading character okay, in this yeah. third one. All right, nice. Told from the feminine perspective. Awesome. Yes. Uh, so with that in mind, uh, so as we've kind of alluded to, you know, 
uh, you've been telling stories, uh, fictional and nonfiction, right? Right, with kind of your uh, social media early adoption. Yes. Uh, so now, uh, with all that in mind, uh, I'm going to ask you to tell a story that you haven't really told <laughs> anybody, and all your storytelling skills and talents are kind of put on the backseat a little bit, right? Because I'm asking you to just not tell those stories that you really know and yeah. are comfortable with. So, you know, uh, here is a chance to put you on the spot. And I don't really know you that well and ask you to trust that I will listen to your story and be super, you know, locked in and curious about it. Well, thank you for this opportunity because this is a story that I've been wanting to tell for a while but haven't really had, um, I don't know if the platform is the right word, but like uh, a way, because it's such a personal story, yeah, and you know it's not like you can just sit down with someone and be like, "Let me tell you about the time." I know um, it's just it's hard. So thank you for this opportunity because I feel like this is something that um, I've been wanting to share for a long time, and uh, it's not like uh, people don't know about it. I, I've I've hinted to it, but I, I haven't gone into um, all the little things that yeah. happened during that time. So and, okay. and I think it'll be helpful for people to hear. Well, yeah, I'm excited to hear and like, yeah, thanks for kind of like allowing me to kind of be the, the platform yes. where you do it. I, I kind of feel like sometimes, uh, yeah, I, I become besties with people when we do this. <laughs> yeah, because like, it's like therapy. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. Yeah, I definitely have, uh, you know, the, uh, this is basically like um, six or seven years of therapy condensed into, what, right, 20 right. minutes? So I'll tell you about the time um, when I tried to have a baby. Oh, okay, so okay. Um, spoiler alert, I don't have a baby. <laughs> okay, right, right, <laughs> um, right. and, and I think that's important to say right off the bat, because this is not the story of two people who were trying to have a kid and ended up adopting or going through IVF. OK, I feel like that is the story we hear all the time. And in fact, I wrote a pilot um, f- because my f- the first thing I ever wrote was a was a pilot about this because I wanted to s- hear that there were people out there, adults yeah. who wanted a kid so badly, mm-hmm. weren't able to have one, didn't have one, and were okay. Because you don't really hear that. When you meet people who don't have children, they're usually like, yeah, I never liked kids. I never wanted them. Yeah, uh, It was never for me. I never had that burning desire inside of me. But for me, that desire was very much there. Like I had that desire since I was since I can remember remembering, mm-hmm. I would, you know, obviously play with dolls and, you know, baby them. But like, I would even write in my, my diary when I was a kid, like notes to my future children of like, see how crazy your, your mom was kids. Don't do this. You know, oh, like, wow. like stuff yeah. like, cause I, I always knew one day that I would be, um, taking care of kids. And so I, um, my mom would always like bring home clothes and be like, this is for when you're pregnant one day oh, gosh. Okay. <laughs> or, you know, yeah. like no pressure or anything. But in, in my head, that was what was going to happen. And when I met my husband, my junior year of, of college, we've been together 22 years. Wow. Yeah, we've been together a long time. That's and we amazing. were like kind of like the first of our friends to get married. So yeah. it was like only natural that we would be the first to have the kids. Right. 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 So like. You know, our careers were go chugging along, um, and I was about 32 when I finally decided, like, okay, it's time. 
Okay. You know, and this is about the time I started my food blog. And part of the reason I started the food blog, as I mentioned, was to come to terms with my eating disorder. And part of the reason I wanted to come to terms with my eating disorder was because I wanted to be healthy enough to have a baby. I didn't want like the uh, baby to be the reason why I changed my relationship with food. I didn't want to be like, now I'm going to eat whatever the hell I want because I'm pregnant. Right, you know, right, right. I wanted to already have that relationship with food where I'm like, it's not because of this baby that I'm trying to like be good to my body. I want to be good to my body anyway, because I don't want to pass along this disordered thinking about food the same way my mom would, you know, say things about her body. I don't yeah. want to do this with whoever is going to come out of my body. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. You know, yeah. so I um, I was like, I'm going to come to terms with the food. I'm going to get really, quote unquote, healthy. I'm going to have uh, try to start having a baby. I'm 32. This is perfect. We tried for a year. You know, like usually what happens is the first year they're like, just try on your own and then we'll like try and see what's going on. Okay. So we tried for the year. Nothing was happening. Yeah. Not e- not an inkling of anything. And that's when I first, like, I was like, okay, we got to go. We got to start. And I went, started going to see an endocrinologist during that time and a fertility specialist. Right. And, you know, I- I'll condense a lot of what was happening. But basically, we went through about four or five endocrinologists. Mm. And I took a lot of hormones. Um, they, they did what they could. Um, the official um, diagnosis was that it was an unexplained uh, infertility, meaning like uh, they don't know. It could be anything, you know, like it yeah. could be this, it could be that. But like they really couldn't tell. Uh, his sperm count was great. My eggs were healthy. Like there right. really was no reason why I wasn't getting pregnant. I was at a healthy weight. Um, it was all of these things that I, I just, I felt like um, I never went to get IVF and yeah. I never went to do IUI. Okay. S- but I did. A big defining moment for me was when um, I went to this, I guess it was a counseling group, like a, like a support group. Okay. And because uh, my, um, my, one of my endocrinologists was like, you should go get, you know, psychological help for this, you know, because yeah. I was on, I was on the, I was on the message boards. I was reading what everyone was doing and I already felt like I had a community, but at the same time it was anonymous. So I went to this group. I remember it was, I drove out to um, Westchester near the airport. So I could hear like the planes going over. And I was at this woman's house and they had, they all knew each other already. Like, you know, they had brought like potluck. It was like very comfortable. They were all sitting down together and we sit down. They were very welcoming, but it was this group of, you know, strange women, five or six of us. Yeah. And as we went around the circle, I was the last to go. Each woman told their story, and it was so heart-wrenching listening to them of not just women who had had miscarriage after miscarriage or failed IVF treatment after failed IVF treatment. And by the way, IVF is extremely expensive, extremely expensive. And and if your insurance doesn't cover it, which mine did not, um, you know, it's your life savings. And it's not even guaranteed. It's not even like a 80% chance or anything like that the right. it's like yeah. you're you're rolling the dice you know so um listening to these women tell these stories and i think the last person who went right before me broke down because her surrogate she had already done ivf twice and then she had a surrogate and the surrogate had miscarried that day oh my god and so she like really lost it 
and then it came to me. (laughs) And I was literally like, I'm taking Clomid and my boobs are a little sore. (laughs) (laughs) Like there was just like no comparison. Not that there is a comparison thing, but for me it was this moment of like, I don't want to get to that point. Yeah, I don't want this to be my future. I don't want to be three years down the line sitting at this group with these women eating potluck, telling my story about my surrogate miscarrying. Right. Like, I don't know if this is, I don't know if the word is worth it is, is right, but like, I don't know if this is, I, I don't know if I can handle yeah. that, that I don't want, I don't know if I want that. And, um, I remember that moment and there was another moment that were, was really defining for me. It was when I went to um, Disney is my favorite place in the world. If you Google Lin Chen Disneyland, you will find many oh, yeah. videos on BuzzFeed on, nice. on YouTube uh, of me eating and exploring Disney because I love Disney. It's always been like my happy place yeah. as it is for many people. Uh- uh, so yeah, sometimes I wish I was like Ellen DeGeneres level of a podcast. I'm like, guess what, Lynn? I got two tickets for you for Disneyland right now. So, well, anyway, so um, I go once a year. It's always like my favorite thing, you know. Like yeah. we, my husband used to hate Disney, and like since we moved to LA, has really like come to like enjoy. I think because he sees how much joy it truly, genuinely brings me. Right. He's right. like, okay, well, you know, she has this at least. And I remember we were at Disneyland, and uh, it was like a perfect day. Yeah. And we got a phone call, and it was from my husband's sister. And she was calling to tell us that she was pregnant. Mm. And um, I just remember I I should have been happy. Right. I should have been um, thrilled. And, and it's not like this was the first time that had happened, because... Um, my brother has five kids now. Oh, wow. okay. So it's like I'm, I've been an aunt before. Yeah. At that point, he had only had like three. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but, you know, I'd been, I had had that, converse, that, that phone call before. Yeah. Um, but something about his little sister getting pregnant before me, knowing that like the dynamic in the family would change forever, that when we came home, like even though we were older... Uh, we would never get the big bedroom, right? right. You know, like yeah. we would, everything would be relegated to what her family needed and her family wanted, of course, and not us, right? I had this moment. I remember I was sitting and I was crying so hard. I was wearing sunglasses because it was bright and sunny out, and I cried so hard that the pool of water that was collecting in my sunglasses as I bent over crying was collecting and then just dribbling like going over the sunglasses like a waterfall onto the ground and I could just see this puddle coming from my eyes from the from the sunglasses and my husband being like but we're at Disneyland (laughs) 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 and and that just still being like nothing helps nothing will ever make this feeling change like that this doesn't this this feeling is so horrible, this remorse mm-hmm. that that won't be my future right. is like so fucking real and so fucking painful. Yeah. And nothing, nothing is going to just make it 
better. Right. Um, and knowing that, like, here's the thing. We could have had IVF. You know, like, that was the next step. Yeah. And I made the conscious decision after that Disney thing, after that meeting with those women, that I didn't want to feel pain like that. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to continue doing that to myself each time. Like, what I saw in the possibility of IVF was not a possibility of a future with a child. But what I saw was more days like that Disneyland day. Right. And me sitting like those women. I don't know what it was in me that just made me think that. But like, I guess I just didn't feel like I could take that risk. Yeah. Of spending that much time and money and effort and energy and not having something guaranteed. And then the worst part of all of having a child and inevitably that child disappointing me (laughs) in many ways over (laughs) the course of their life and me thinking things. I don't know. Like there was a part of me that was just like, if I'm making a conscious decision to really try to bring somebody into this world, then, um, then like I shouldn't, I shouldn't do that and then subject them to, to the possibility that I might not be a quote unquote perfect mom, which is a lot to put on a person. Yeah. But for me at that, when I was making that decision, that was a big part of it. Um, and so I will say that year. So the whole thing is that when you turn 35, yeah. Um, you're fertile, you are considered a, um, what do they call it? The geriatric pre- pregnancy after that. Yeah, you're so like, you're high risk. I know. But yeah, I know about a little bit about this. Yeah. You're like high. You're, you're considered at risk. Yes. You have to do a lot of testing. And yes. It's, it's, it's actually quite complicated. Of a yes. Process. Yeah. So infertility rates um, for like IVF, they double. Right. So at 34, I was told, you know, you can do the IVF now and try. And instead of doing that, I said to my husband, because also I was like very emotional from all the, all the hormones. Yeah. Um, I said to him, like, listen, can we just fucking take a year off from having sex on a schedule and saying no to jobs that take us away from one another because we can't have sex on a schedule? Right. And, um, and, and also say yes to jobs that don't, like, contribute to health insurance because I'm worried about, like, you know, being able to have a baby in a hospital <laughs> and all right. that other stuff. Right. Um, I was like, can we just, like, take the year off? Yeah. And make this conscious decision that like we're probably not going to do IVF. We're probably going to either have a baby naturally on our own by accident, Mm -hmm. by some miracle, or we're going to adopt one day or we're going to foster. Like that's how we'll be parents. But I need to take the year off. I need to like not keep on going on this train. And that year was kind of the best year of my life. Mm. Because we set an intention to enjoy our freedom in the way that we saw that our friends were not able to. We were like, okay, so if this is the last time we're not going to be parents, then let's like go on vacation. Let's say yes to jobs that will let us travel and don't pay very much. I did. I think I did like three movies that year, three indie films that year that was just shot on location. Um, Let's just like, Let's let's like eat what we want and go where we want and do what we want right. and see what we want. And it was so 
freeing and so much fun that when I turned 36, I barely like remembered, Hmm. you know, that I had had that feeling before that I had wanted kids that badly because I had adopted to this new life or yeah. adapted to this new life. I <laughs> said adopted by accident. <laughs> I <didn't catch> <laughs> had adapted to this new life that had a new purpose, had yeah. a new sense of purpose. The purpose was not to become a mom, but the purpose was to become the best adult that I could be right. without a kid and without defining myself as a mother or a yeah. future mom. Yeah. And I've really basically carried that with me the last however many years yeah. of in everything I do, pretty much everything I do is um, is this definition of like, who am I as an adult without the um, without defining myself because I'm responsible for somebody else because I don't have to be responsible to somebody else. And what, what does that freedom feel like? And, and how can I take advantage of that? Yeah. And it was hard at first because every single person we knew had kids. Right. You know, and every time every time we did go home, it, it we did get relegated to the <laughs> small room. And, sure, yeah. you know, and every vacation we've gone on, it does revolve around the kids. And so we've really just had to make a new life for ourselves in that we don't really go home for the holidays as much anymore. Um, I yeah. don't really like hang out with my friends who have kids uh, with the kids. Sure. And um, and it's there's a part of it that's very sad because there th- I do feel like I'm missing out a little bit, mm-hmm. and which was my biggest fear. I think that yeah. day that I was crying was that I'm missing out on this part of life that everyone else seemingly gets to experience. Yeah. But. I've met so many people who don't have kids mm-hmm. and I've had so many of my friends who do have kids like whisper in my ear, you made the right decision. <laughs> do not tell anyone else this, but you made the right decision. Sure. Um, uh, yeah. And as a, as a parent, that is a, but like I, I want to be able to be evidence that you can could can have wanted something that much and then change your mind and actually I'm, I'm this experience has helped me get through so many other things so many other painful things in my life so many other disappointments yeah because I remember how much I wanted it and how it's just possible like if you shift you're thinking about something mm-hmm. and accept it you can get past it not only get past it but thrive yeah on the other end. And, you know, my husband and I also made this decision that we were just going to be kick-ass aunts and uncles. Right. Spoil the shit out of our little ones in our lives. Like I just, my actually, I'm a godmother for the first time uh, a couple months ago. And, um, I cannot wait to bring this kid to Disneyland. (laughs) (laughs) Every year that's going to be our thing. Like, what a gift that I get to be this presence in so many children's lives, so many kids' lives throughout their lives, yeah, and not be responsible for their college tuition. <laughs> <laughs> I know. 
Yeah, you're telling me all the great, (laughs) like, auntie things that you you can do. Well, it is really great because they're like, they love me, and then I send them home and don't have to deal with the sugar crash. I was going to, if I can interject, uh, it's really, like, not random, but I literally was having a conversation with my wife about kind of macro thinking. Um, I do have a child, so, you know, uh, we're trying to figure out where to send him to school. This is a way smaller example, by the way. I'm just trying to just kind of show, like, yeah, like, like we're trying to figure out where to send him to school and stuff. And we were, I was t- we were talking about commutes, where it's a okay, this is a great school, but it's going to take me like an hour and a half to take take him there, an hour and a half to take him home. I'm going to be like miserable, and then I'm working a full day. And I was like thinking about this like macro thought of like, yeah, like sure, he's going to a good school but I'm going to be a horrible parent because I'm going to hate it and like what effect does that have on your child right Mm -hmm. so like it's just it's just like kind of in a way relating to you kind of thinking about long term like how is pursuing IVF going to affect you as a person is that going to even be worth it am I because it's so iffy could I go through that and you know not how am I going to come out on the other side so I think that's interesting or like I applaud you for kind of <laughs> at Disneyland knowing or something clicked in your mind you're like no I just I know I can't go through I can't go to that that level because um, I don't want to be those women mm-hmm. in in the in the kind of support group um, and I think that's oftentimes you know moving moving on from something or or is perceived as quitting or like oh I can't believe you didn't stick it out but like I think like it's also important to realize like people need to know their 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 points yeah their 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 tipping points they're like okay I know I'm gonna break if this happens Mm -hmm. badly why don't I just put my energy towards kind of what I think you seems seems like what you've been doing is like more positive things in your life that have um things you have a little bit more control over I guess yeah absolutely you know and, and things and then also it seems like it you had a weight lifted off your shoulder yeah you know and also like you know as I got older and older and the chances of having a kid became smaller and smaller it just was alleviated even that much more you know right by just just like science. just science yeah. yeah right exactly yeah um and I think yeah I mean I you know I, I don't have the same experience as you or my wife doesn't, you know, if I basically, and I feel bad saying this too, just, and, and I think that's part of it is like trying not to feel bad, mm-hmm. you know, but it, there's a natural, like, uh, I feel bad for your situation, but you're, I feel like you're trying to say like, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Don't feel bad for me. Mm-hmm. Like that's my life and this is what happened to me. But just to quickly share, I had the opposite experience where, you know, my wife and I decided to have a family and then she got pregnant like a month later, yeah. which was like not expe- we I didn't you know, we didn't expect it at all. We thought yeah. it would be like it would take a while, like all that stuff. We yeah. were not. And then it just happened and we were totally unprepared in a different way. We're like, OK, nine months, we're going to have a child now. Like we just but I just goes to show you how random it yes, all is. Absolutely. You know? like, and that that was helpful for me also in that, like I was just seeing everyone get pregnant around me and the quote unquote deserving things you know like that whole vocabulary sort of erased from my that erased from how I thought about the world of like you deserve this because you did this because I can't think of anyone honestly more deserving to be parents than me and my husband like we freaking love kids 
we were able, we had like this solid relationship. We had, were financially able to do it. Uh, we had like a family system in place that would like help this child thrive. Like conditions could not be more perfect. And the fact that we couldn't make it happen. And then like, we'd hear about like a girl in Georgia leaving her baby in a dumpster. Like that, that girl deserved to have a baby, but we don't. Like that just made me really change my whole perspective on like if you I think this is very similar to the entertainment industry too and life in general of like if you do this, 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 this and this, then you will get what you want. And that is just not true. Yeah. I mean, yeah, if you equate it to (laughs) entertainment industry and like, yeah, at least even in my personal experience, no. No, I've done a lot of work no. and, you know, certain things didn't go my way. No, absolutely not. Uh, but yeah, I think it's important to kind of maybe get the word deserving out of your, your vocab. Yes. Things just don't no. work like that. No. Uh, unfortunately, but you have to figure out a way to navigate, um, you know, your life. Uh, it also helps you in general, like to bring it back to the entertainment industry also is like not be jealous of other people's getting what you want yeah you know like that's their path that's their life not mine uh and it very hard to do yes but really hard very hard but important to try to do it which is what i've kind of learned is like at least make the effort to know that like that's not your story you got your way and you know something maybe will line up where you didn't maybe anticipate Mm mm-hmm uh, for me, it's actually this podcast. Mm-hmm. I didn't kind of, I, I said I wanted to do this, but now it's become this whole like universe for me mm-hmm. that I kind of do. Uh, I still do it for free. Mm-hmm. So if Disneyland wants to sponsor, <laughs> <laughs> uh, if <laughs> we can get on Disney plus or whatever. Yeah, sure. Uh, but, uh, let me, uh, I kind of, uh, I do ask this a lot, um, and, uh, but I actually do think it would be pretty fitting as kind of a final question for you is, um, you know, for someone who has been very open about their life to kind of the public and you're in the public eye, you've actually shared a very personal story that maybe, you know, people in your personal life might know and maybe not know like the full details of it. Maybe they didn't know about the support group moment or oh, the Disney. No one. I don't think anyone knows right. about okay. that except wow. my, ha- okay. my husband and my therapist probably. Yeah. Or like the Disneyland moment. Yeah. Definitely you know, no one knows uh, about that except my husband and the people who worked at Disney. Yeah. So <laughs> you've just shared these very private moments. Uh, uh, it's just, it's a really simple question. It's just like, how do you feel now, you know, after doing that on a podcast? I feel happy. Okay. I feel happy that it's out there for people to hear and if they're going through a moment that's similar um, to not feel alone you know that's the reason why we tell these stories is so that people don't feel like they're the only crazy people (laughs) having these reactions (laughs) and feelings Um, and you know like had I at that time been going through that and heard somebody who was going through something similar Mm -hmm. I would have really latched on to that. So my, my hope is that, um, I feel, I feel happy because I know that I can give that to somebody because I know I needed it. Yeah. Like if one person hears this and, and feels less alone and less like I can't handle this, I can't get through the rest of this day. Um, then I feel, I feel good. I feel really good. That's great. Yeah. No, I mean, it's nice to kind of try to pay it forward whenever you have an opportunity. Um, so 
thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Uh, we now know each other quite well, yeah, I would we say, do. <laughs> a- after like a half hour. <laughs> uh, so thanks for listening, everyone, and uh, talk soon. Bye. Ready for another episode? Well, check us out at beststoryinevertold.com or also find us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or a number of other podcast aggregators. And if you're interested in sponsoring a future episode of this series, please contact us at beststoryinevertold at gmail.com. <laughs>